0: 1, 15 through 23. So you can follow along um, up here. You can follow along on page 5 of your bulletin or in your own Bible. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is in his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the immeasurable riches and love that you have given to us. Um, And Father, we ask that you would bring these truths deep down into our hearts and our minds, that we would understand these truths, that we would walk with these truths, that other people would see these truths as we live our lives out. We ask for Pastor Joel that you would give him words of wisdom um, to speak what it is that we need to hear In your precious name, I pray, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks so much, Kim. For decades, uh, the BBC has aired uh, a program where people can bring items, items that they find uh, in their attics or in their basements or uh, in their garages when they're cleaning them out or really anywhere in their house. And they can bring them to have them assess uh, for their value. Now, it is a roadshow, which means it doesn't have one set place, but it travels around the countryside, uh, moving to different cities, different towns, uh, connecting with different people, each with respective stories. And uh, in one episode, it included Margaret Hobbs and her son, They live in Sussex, England, and went on the show uh, because they had found a shoebox under her bed uh, full of silver stuff that they wanted to have checked out. They wanted it assessed. And uh, it turns out that uh, Margaret's late husband, Harold Hobbs, who had passed away just a few years earlier, loved going around England. Uh, to different antique shops and stores and sales and finding silver decorative stuff. Now, here's the fascinating thing about Harold and uh, Martha's, Margaret's marriage. It's that she hated silver decorations, hated them. And so he would buy this stuff because this is his hobby. This is how he spent time. And once he got it home, he would have to package it and store it away in random places throughout the house. And so he did that. And after his death, when Margaret and her adult son started going through the house, they started finding this stuff, and they're like, what is this? So they take it on the road to find out. And as uh, this expert assessor takes a look at the age and the craftsmanship of the pieces, it becomes uh, very apparent, both in his nonverbal communication, as well as uh, what he assesses the value that they have had in their house, in shoeboxes and under beds, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of old silver British antiques. So Margaret Hobbes and her son at the time were living in a difficult spot, trying to make ends meet. And, and, and while they struggled day over day, in their house, particularly under their bed, they had an inheritance of wealth worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I read about this in uh, the UK paper, The Independent. They had an article in the follow-up where they took some items, they sold them, and then used some of that value, and it changed their lives. So before the show, they had struggled just to make ends meet. After the show, they had the resources to begin to enter in each day without anxiety. Before the show, they felt the weight of every new thing in their circumstances that came up. Everything that hit them, it, it just felt like added weight on an already overbearing load. After the show, all of that had been lifted off. And it felt like at that point that they began to walk through life with a renewed sense of freedom. Before the show, Margaret and her son would say the reality of despair that met them each morning was real. After the show, they would describe a sense of real hope that life would be different in his letter to the ephesians paul is writing as a type of spiritual assessor he's writing to a set of churches who are having difficulty making spiritual ends meet the life that they live is one that is marked by oppression and struggle with sin and and i don't just mean like the occasional temptation i mean Patterns of darkness and evil in their own lives and in the city that they lived that they had to begin to actively resist. And that's the context that Paul is writing into. Before the arrival of Jesus Christ, the people were struggling to survive. And Paul writes to make clear to them, That after his arrival, they now have the opportunity to flourish. Before the arrival of Christ, they felt the weight of their own sin and the oppression of the rulers and authorities and powers that were over them. After Christ's arrival, Paul writes to assess the inheritance that they have and to bring them the news that that sin can be tossed off because of the work of Jesus and that they now have the ability to live freely. That life for them, day over day, is going to be different. Before the arrival of Christ, the people lived each morning with a sense of despair. And Paul writes to make real to them that after the arrival of Christ, they have real hope that change is coming, not only in their individual lives, not only in their collective communities in the cities that they found themselves but for all of eternity, cosmic hope. Paul writes as a way to put right before their face as a spiritual assessor what they now have in Christ Jesus, that what uh, may have been thought to be dealt with some small matter in a shoebox in Jerusalem that is now done away with, Paul opens that box up to the blessing and riches that now are enjoyed by the church. The people, weighed down by the burden and grief of their struggle, now through the power of Jesus Christ have available to them an inheritance that will keep them and maintain them in the face of their day-to-day, both now and forever. This is what Paul is writing not only to the church in Ephesus, but to us. Paul's spiritual assessment of the church's condition and the challenges that they face, Paul's reminder of the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus, those are unchanged for you and I this morning. And so if you've shown up here wondering, how are you making spiritual ends meet, so to speak, Paul is writing to point you... To the reality of the inheritance that we have, the freedom and hope that that brings, and how it changes our lives. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in two points. So I would invite you to track the sermon with me in two points. Seeing the world clearly and serving the king faithfully. Remember last week, and if not, you can go back to the podcast or video and check it out, but in the opening of Ephesians, Paul does that kind of standard email greeting. Hey, what's up? It's Paul writing to you guys. Good to see you. And then in verses 3 through 14, he uh, has this one long, rich, unfolding sentence of blessing. God is at work in the world, and that is a good word, a benediction, a barakah, a blessing for you and for I. And in verses 15 and 16, he transitions from that blessing, and he gives a bit of a prayer report, like a a testimony, as the old church would call it. Follow along with me. In verse 15, he writes, for this reason, so in light of what? In 3 through 14, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what happens here in 17 through 23 is Paul unacts for them just exactly what he's praying for. Prayer is important in the Christian life. And it's one of the more neglected things, one of the easier things to just set aside. It's hard to pray. And yet it is a vital thing for us. So much so that here, after giving a good word to the churches that are reading Paul's letter, he models for them, gives them an example of just what it looks like to pray. He does so not only for the encouragement of the content, but to model for them. Here's the reality. Kids, if you're still in here, I guess for the kids who are still in here, and then parents, you can remind the kids who went to the kids lesson, kids are really good at prayer. They're better than a lot of adults because they have imagination. They have wonder. They haven't been hardened and certainly not yet, we hope, cynical about the world. And so when they are told you have the opportunity to ask or speak with God, they bring a fresh imagination and a real sense of wonder of, wait a second, you mean I get to talk to God? The God who's over all this stuff? And so we can learn from our kids about prayer. Kids keep praying. He can learn from you so kids are good at prayer new christians or people who are just exploring their faith also good at prayer if you're here and you're new to this idea of jesus christ this idea that you have some sort of inheritance in him that by turning to jesus in faith that somehow that means something to you you're great at prayer Because oftentimes people who are new to prayer and who don't kind of quite have a sense of the hardened uh, phrases and uh, uh, Christian uh, jargon that should be inserted uh, in what makes for a normal or typical prayer, uh, there's a refreshing honesty and candor that we can be reminded of by people who are working through their faith. By people who say, oh, I get to talk to God, and and you mean I get to tell them what I'm really thinking and feeling. And the psalmist says, yes and amen. Go for it. So, praying, people who are new to the faith serve as a great example. So, kids, good at prayer, keep it up. Thanks for teaching us the wonder and imagination. People who are working through their faith or new to Christianity, keep praying. You don't need some sort of special formula. You can speak to God honestly, keep it open about what your questions are, what you're struggling with. Lastly, Paul, the Apostle Paul, pretty good at prayer. He serves as an example that we can learn to model after. He's unpacking for us what it looks like to move beyond the superficial. If I think we're being honest Uh, particularly for those who do participate regularly in the life of the church or who have for a number of years, there can be a quick and easy pattern to our prayers. It usually involves, and I'm just going to venture a guess here, but this is based on years of participating in community groups and church life, so a little of experience coming to bear. It involves workplace circumstances. Uh, It involves family connections. It involves any health issue involved anywhere. And these things are wonderful to pray for. Wonderful. We should be praying for all these things. So please don't take that as a rebuke. If that's what you asked for this last community group, that's actually what I asked for. So it's okay, right? That's just part of how it goes. What Paul is doing in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, but particularly verses 18 through uh, uh, 23, is inviting us to catch a glimpse for what it looks like to pray for more. Right To see clearly just what God is doing in the world. And so this is Paul's model for us to go deeper. What does he pray for? He prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 17. That the eyes of our heart, uh, think of it as kind of like seeing the world clearly having a clear vision of what's really happening in our world, that uh, it may be illuminated, enlightened, opened up, clarified, that we can have cataract surgery on our souls to remove the things that blur us from reality, that we may open up and see the world clearly again. This is what Paul prays. Imagine going to CG this next week and saying, could y'all just pray for cataract surgery for my soul? that I could see things more clearly, I bet somebody's like, oh, all right, I'm following Paul's model of prayer here. So having your eyes enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This sense of hope of God's call on our life, the idea that God is active and working in our lives, and that that brings us hope, I need to draw in on just one important distinction so that we're reading this the right way. There's contemporary hope and there's Christian hope, okay? Contemporary hope and Christian hope. Contemporary hope is the new restaurant that just opened up in downtown Silver Spring, where you decide, I'm gonna ask somebody out and I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna pay some money. And I sure hope that it's okay. I sure hope that they have their service and menu down and that the food is going to be at least somewhat decent. For those of you who are parents who still do a date night, you're like, I'm sure hope this is worth the babysitter money that we are shelling out, that we can go out and go to this new place because I'm not sure. It's new. Uh, it, it, it has new decor. It has a new menu. I haven't been, but I, I'm hoping it works out. That's contemporary use of the word hope, Right? Uh, it's a wish. It's a glass half full. It's, it's an optimistic, uh, I don't know, but I, I hope. Christian hope and the hope of God's calling that Paul is unpacking here. That's the Santucci's Deli of hope. That's the, that's the been around for 35 years, not going to change, haven't updated decor, but the menu is the menu. And when you want fresh bread, And good Italian meats. And uh, you want that put together in a way that's actually going to fill you up. And uh, you can go in and you know what you're going to get. That's Christian hope. So when you hope for a Santucci's deli sandwich, you know what you're coming into. And if you're new to the area or new to Four Corners and you haven't been, there's plenty of people will tell you. Because they've been. There are not only reviews, there are testimonies here in this church that can tell you just how good and fresh and filling a Santucci's deli sandwich is. If you're not sure, you can see Peter Yang, one of our elders after the service, he'll tell you all about it in very candid and honest language, right? So that's Christian hope. It is the type of hope that comes not with a well-intended wish, not with an optimistic, glass-half-full kind of view, but that we, to our core, Could factor in thousands of years of Christian testimony that the power of God in our lives, his call is real. And it serves as a foundation of certainty that is life changing. And that's what Paul is praying that we will see clearly that that will begin to be operative in how we go about day to day life. It's Christian hope that Paul is calling our attention to in his prayer. That in the face of varying cultures and circumstances, the demonstrated pattern of changed lives because of the resurrection power of Jesus will serve as more than just a well wish for our faith, but as a firm testimony to the foundation that is Jesus. That we may know the immeasurable greatness. Of his power. That transitions in verse 19 from what Paul has been praying for. And I think in 19 there's a bit of a transition to part of uh, the source or sense of confidence in prayer, and that is the power of God. He says that he's been praying for Christians that. The immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So a few things he is unpacking that God is actively at work in our world. The, the Christian faith is one that confesses, that says, this is true. This is reality, that uh, our lives involve more than science and technology, but that our real lives take place in a world where God is alive, that God is active, that God is working, and that his power is at play in what we do. How might we know that? You ask, Paul responds. In part, we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and seating of Jesus Christ the right hand of God the Father, and that now through Christ power is at play. He has been raised, and in verse twenty one, uses multiple words to show just how powerful Jesus Christ is. He is far above all rule, all authority. All power, all dominion. Four different words that are basically getting at nobody and nothing is greater than Jesus. In verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body. It's a declaration of God's power that we now serve a king who is above all. Now, I want to pause here because I recognize part of the challenge of Paul's bold declaration is that oftentimes, and for us here in the 21st century in the metro DC area, uh, we don't always have great experiences with people and power and how that plays out in our lives. When you go just below the superficial level, we come into various misuses of power right? That uh, we see it in news stories again and again about the political abuse of power and corruption, not just here, but globally. We see people in power who are supposed to use that power for good uh, that uh, then take that power and abuse it. Whether that's various members of police departments across that nation, or whether that's various church leaders uh, in our world, that uh, power in the hands of people does not always work out great. And in reality, there is a pain that can come from the misuse and abuse of power that goes deep to our core that raises these questions about these very institutions and their worth. Their value. And so I, I think it's important when Paul's making these huge, bold declarations about Christ's power that we don't take for granted that everybody has an equally positive experience with the reality of power. That uh, hurt from abuse of power is real, and that it's something that we have to work through. Paul isn't writing to ignore that. He is in trying to bring that Christian hope that I talked about to bear. Is it possible that while various politicians or police officers or church leaders may abuse power among others, is it possible that God himself, the one holy and righteous God who's good— Maybe entrust it with power in a way that can use it and bring it to bear actually for your good. That Jesus being placed above all power and authority and rule and dominion could exercise that power faithfully, resistant to temptation to get something for himself, resistant to the temptation to just show how he's powerful for the sake of showing how he's powerful, but rather to bring that power to bear even for the weakest among us, even for the most on the margin, even for the most undeserving. That, Paul says, is something that we should pray to have imagination for, to see that worked out in our community so that in the weeks ahead, starting next week with Dan, but then certainly in the weeks that follow as we continue to go through this letter, Paul writes to say that is true of Jesus Christ he can be trusted to wield that power and that he will bring it to bear for you in your fight against sin. You're struggling to break patterns in your life. Jesus faithfully brings his power to bear to help you. You're struggling with the reality of death and what to do in the face of it. Paul writes, Jesus is your hope. He brings to bear power to break even death. That's how we work out service to our king faithfully as a church. As people who have hope of God's calling to us, we can use our influence and privilege to faithfully love our neighbors. To serve as a community of called out ones who use whatever we have for the good of the people around us. In this past year, I've had at least three conversations with people who've experienced real church hurt in their past, and they've had some time at Mosaic. And they have made clear that through that time at this Christian community, that has served as a sort of hope building for them. Not just, oh, well, wishing that maybe there is some church community somewhere, but rather they have seen it play out in our community in a way that has impacted and shaped their faith. That's the type of community that we want to be, that we have hope in our inheritance in Jesus Christ, that we see that he is the power above all rulers and authorities and power and dominion, and that we follow him, that we use our own stories and what we have and our connections to live in transparent ways, to love and care for the people God brings into our life, both here at Mosaic Silver Spring and in our broad community, That's how we may serve this king faithfully. That's what it can look like for us to not only hear Paul's spiritual assessment of our glorious inheritance in Christ, but to see the world clearly. To come to grips with the real things that people struggle with. To serve the king faithfully by loving them, caring for them, inviting them in sharing our lives with them, hearing their stories, living transparently, not in search of our own reputation or some accomplishment, but for care for them and to participate in Christ's victory over death. That's a prayer worth praying for us, where we can pray not only with the wonder of the children in our church, not only with the honesty and candor that people who are new to the faith are walking through, but we can follow Paul's example that we may know our inheritance, that we may engage and follow the king, and that we may love one another faithfully. Let's pray that prayer together. I ask, that as we serve you as a church, that our concern will not run first to what others think of us, to what competence we have displayed, but will run to our neighbors in need. Will run to victims and people who have been hurt. Will run to... Those in our community who are working through a spiritual existence that is just making ends meet and just barely, and need to hear and know the inheritance that's available to them and freely offered because of your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus. Guide us to be a church, a group of called ones who love and serve you faithfully in care, and witness to our neighbors. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.